1: Fun that happened in week 11 that's what we're going to talk about today on stealing bananas brought to you by WinBet. i'm ben gretchy from my newsletter at ben with me as always is sean siegel you can find all of his great work over at road of his sean we're recording a late night pod usually we're morning recorders it is thanksgiving week we're trying to get a couple in here um i'm doing some family stuff later in the week so i want to let the listeners know we'll only be doing uh two episodes this week but we're doing a a late Tuesday night recording. I was up pretty early this morning, finishing up Stealing Signals. So you get the late night version of me after having written for the last two days. My brain's not really working. Sean, I'm going to be relying on you a lot on this show. No, no,
2: there's not going to be any of that. It's late <laughs> night Ben Gretsch and punch drunk Sean Siegel, who I wrote out one game this week is like 2000 words took five hours. I mean, <laughs> what game was that? I wrote about Bengal Steelers because that one, even though after I went back through the whole thing, I was kind of like, well, maybe it wasn't as, as great as I thought the Steelers did have some second half issues, but that was a fun game. And we had a yeah. lot of games this week that weren't fun. A lot of games this year that weren't fun. I have recorded three episodes already with Colin Kelly on overtime. We did a Thanksgiving show things we're grateful for, still a ton of stuff, even though this year has had some frustrating developments. Been there have been some injuries this year. Yeah. And yet I wasn't expecting in week 11 for like my three highest roster remaining players to get injured. In-game. Uh, right.
1: we, we talked about the in-game injuries and how frustrating they are. That has been a major storyline of 2022. We talked, I, I want to say last
2: year on the show, but if the question is you're up by like 0. 0.2 and you've got someone who could score about 30 going, but your other, your opponent is done. Bench that player. Is that the Rondell Moore thing? Cause
1: that got, one of those got circulated on Twitter. I saw where somebody oh, played mean. Rondell Moore up, up by 0. 0.4 or something and lost. I mean, I mean you watch that 4, first so.
2: play as that person. And obviously there are lots of other people out there as well. And you watch that develop and you're thinking to yourself, I mean, I'm a little bit of a Cliff Kingsbury apologist, right? But after this game, I was thinking, okay, well, failed at Texas Tech, going for the Arizona Cardinals, obviously going to get fired. I mean, if he had just, like, timed us a little bit differently, he could have been elected governor of Arizona last week, I think. <laughs> so, I mean, i feeling i start. I mean, but are, are we at a run- point – Already. Any other play than that, right? And you know that he, when he's tackled in the backfield on about the dumbest play you could start the game with, that he's also hurt. I mean, you know, even before he pops yeah. up holding his groin, that he's hurt. Yeah, it's definitely, so. yeah. You're like, I'm losing now and I've lost.
1: Are we at the point with fantasy football? I mean, I I don't think we should all move to best ball. And I've said this before, and I was going to say that I think I've talked about it on the show before, but I know I've written about it as well, is a concept where you don't – you still want spots on your roster that are your bench that don't count. Because if you make everything best ball then and you have in-season management, you still need to tailor your bench then toward players that can get you points, or or you know, with that in mind, because they're potentially eligible. What I have argued for is a system where there are a certain number of bench or whatever starting lineup-ish spots that can be used as like backups for in-game injuries or just to simplify it, it could be best ball for it. So maybe it's like you have deeper lineups and you drop the bottom two scores or something. I don't, I, I mean, I don't know how you would really uh, do it, but like in some way fixing this in fantasy football, where we have talked to Sean on the show for years that we should have deeper lineups anyway. And that would help already. That if you just had more roster spots in some of these leagues, where there are these in in-game injuries, you'd have more space to potentially make up the ground. Fantasy football already has a problem with casual leagues and even some more serious leagues that are just too shallow in terms of the starting lineups and who's actually playing. So we get so many start sit questions that are frankly like half the time are just like this is a coin flip. These range of outcomes are very similar. These are both starting players, like and and you have one on your bench. Because you're playing in a league that's not starting enough players. Like you really should get to the point where you're starting tough players and you have to make tough calls on who you think is going to break out that week or something. That's why we love some of the formats that we get a chance to play. And we always talk about Mike Clay's going deep league, where we play six receivers, three running backs, two tight ends, two quarterbacks every single week. And it's a it's a an awesome league. It's super, super fun. 12 teams. We're playing
2: bad players sometimes but like that's part of it you know you you hit that and at this point too i mean i don't see how you could ever play jerry judy again unless it's at least a start 10 i look at my different lineups and scores coming in you know through the week after the week all of that and you're thinking to yourself well what's the difference between these mature dynasty leagues that are dominating and these redraft teams (laughs) that seem to be in the red and one thing is just that they are a slightly different constellation of players at this point with those mature leagues having built through that sort of perpetual reloading element. But there are only so many star veterans that you can unload in any given year. This was obviously not the year to have unloaded basically any of them, but you have a team that is deeper and better as a power team, but also these are start 10 lineups and kicker and defense are not part of that 10. So you can withstand all of those in-game injuries. When you were playing the normal formats that are out there, even in high stakes, and you have a Mike Williams, you have a Jerry Judy, you have <laughs> a Rod Moore, and then you're just dealing with all of the other normal injuries that come in the flow of the game as well, the sequencing of that and just the luck of it starts to overwhelm what's happening. And you can go through and look at the teams this season and obviously the teams that are healthy, and it's always the teams that are healthy, and yet we would like that to be a little bit less of it to where you can overcome some injuries with good selections deep in your draft. That hasn't been the case this year for a multiple of reasons. One of which is that the the late guys are not scoring particularly well. But yeah, I mean you can make dynasty work exactly in the way that you're saying.
1: And yeah, whether it's dynasty or, or redraft, I mean I was thinking redraft, but I I if anyone is listening that no runs a site or no someone that runs a site or can build a site. Like if you make a fantasy site where I can play this way, where I can you know drop injured players out of my lineup, I will, I will play on your site. But
2: I think that there was a format out there a handful of years ago. I, I could be sort of showing how long I've been doing this. It may have been a long time ago at this point, but there you could actually restart players at halftime like you could just leave your guys in, obviously, but you could also sub at halftime of games. All I think right. it wasn't successful because people just have too many leagues. I had a league this year that was actually pretty important where I don't, I think it somehow there was, I don't know if it was me and a co-manager clicking at the same time. So I can't imagine a scenario where we had Zamir uh, White in instead of Isaiah Spiller just to start with, but missed the fact somehow. So it may have just have been an error from that perspective, but with White actually being inactive it could have been a lot of points lost there except for the fact that isaiah spiller basically scored zero as well but when when fantasy managers are having to deal with that do you think that there is a market out there for being able to make some of these i guess i come to it from the perspective of because of the way that i watch i'm often far enough behind where i might miss some of this stuff anyway but what do do you think about that starting players at halftime well that's why i think that can't work because people don't want to have to track it
1: I mean, in terms of like, I'm thinking broader, like changes to the way that fantasy football is played that could be mass adopted, uh, even for casual people who aren't watching all the games in real time and go to the farmer's market on Sunday or whatever. And we've made changes to the way fantasy football is played. I mean, there it's taken a long time, but a lot of leagues don't use kickers anymore. That was a big one for a long time. I think flex took a long time to be adopted. PPR obviously is a really big one. Superflex is being more widely adopted. There are changes to the ways that, that, that we play that have occurred over the years. I mean, you can go way back, and it used to just be touchdown only fantasy football. And then it was, well, we're going to give points for yards. Here's how we're going to do that. And that, so that stuff caught on. And I guess my argument is, and I especially think that, like I, I, I've talked about it before, I'm going to keep talking about it because I especially think with the 17 game schedules, with the emphasis on player health and safety, which is a good thing. With the concussion rules, which is a good thing, this is just going to keep – I mean, it's just becoming more and more prevalent. The longer seasons especially, we're, I, I think Mike Williams plays through that five years ago. It's definitely 10 years ago, 15 years ago. He kind of tweaked his ankle. He seemed okay. The Chargers know we need him healthy. We've had him out for four games. We see that now where they teams bring these guys back. They activate them. And they, like, give it a go. And if they're not really ready, then they just shut them down right away. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll go through another week of practice and figure it out next week. In, you know, your parents' NFL I'm, – I'm, like, dating myself now as well. But, like, back in the day, that's not how it would work. Like, but when the guy was active, if he got another little tweak, he'd play through it. And then he might miss the next game again. But because he was up for that game, he'd play as much as he could until he couldn't walk anymore. I mean, that's just the way it was in the NFL. Rondell Moore tweaks his groin – I don't know how bad that was, but like, it
2: sounds like you're questioning these guys' toughness.
1: I'm not questioning their toughness. I think the team, I know you're kidding, but I think the teams are smarter about it now. And this is the way that it should be done. And it is intelligent to protect the longer term health and, and well being of the players, but also for them from a schematic and, and health of their organization standpoint, winning that individual game that week isn't everything. And, and, there's a longer view that a lot of these coaches and, and organizations take we're gonna you know give this a go or whatever or we're not going to but yeah I mean a lot of these injuries where they just shut guys down for the week it re- and especially like if the game's not close yeah I mean, they're gonna just shut them down or if, you know there's already things that are not looking great anyway it's uh the 17 game season I think is a big part of it that extra game I know it's only one extra game but I do think it's a big part of it and I don't think it's going to get any Better. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence we've had as many early in game injuries this year as we have. It's probably been a, a tough season for that. Like, it's a little bit unlucky, but I do well, think because you we have graph some of the that, players
2: specifically that it sure. happened happen to, it feels a lot more. I mean, Joe Mixon goes out early in his game and then his backup scores a ton of points. And that one doesn't have the same feel to us because we don't have Mixon rostered, but definitely. Definitely. What did he have a concussion or did he just go into the concussion
1: protocol? I thought. I, I thought I heard conflicting stuff on that whether it was an actual concussion or. The latest thing that I heard was that he's in the protocol, and that's what they That's saying. all I've with heard this. as well. So again, that's another thing with the concussions now, right? Like they can be removed purely by exhibiting symptoms that you know show instability or whatever that that came as a result of the tua thing. And again, that's good, I think. I mean, I'm not arguing against that from a real world perspective. What I'm saying is, fantasy football should evolve to meet the NFL that it is playing, you know, that that we're playing in now. I mean, it's a different world. There's, I mean, again, I'm I'm not trying to be like, oh, yeah, guys were tougher back in the day. Justin Fields, we found out, played through a pretty serious shoulder injury this year. That's the kind of stuff we would hear a lot about in the NFL after weeks in the past. And, And nowadays, it's not considered weak to say, hey, I'm not right, and, and I, I shouldn't play through this or a, as weak, if you will. I don't know. But you see guys being willing to say, like, look, yeah, this, this isn't feeling right or whatever. They're not trying to, like, lie to their team doctors to get back out on the field, which is the way they – I mean, Donovan had played the whole game with a broken ankle at one point. I mean, there's all these stories, right? Like Brett Well, Kadarius Tony will
2: let you know he's injured.
1: What's that? Yeah, he'll <laughs> let you know. He's not trying to play through
2: the, uh, it. And, again, all the stuff is very positive you and I were just very gently on opposite sides of the flag at the end of the Washington Philadelphia game. And then I also didn't want it called because I wanted there to be more fantasy points scored after that point, as opposed to kneel downs. But I felt like the hit that, Fields took when he slid late where you could tell how much pain he was in. That was a a dirty play and nothing was called on it. There was a play this week in the Raiders Broncos game where Devontae Adams takes a flagrant cheap shot across the middle to his head, not called. And he lights up the official who then flags him. So you get a massive shift in in terms of... 30 yards. I tweeted
1: about that one. Yeah. That was... 30-yard difference in that game. And I'm sorry, but, like, when you miss a call that obvious, you got to take a little bit of a verbal lashing from a guy of Devontae Adams' stature. Like, he has earned the right to tell you that you missed it. He's not just throwing a fit. Devontae Adams doesn't just throw fits for no reason. He knows the rules. He's played long enough. Anyway, that was ridiculous. Whatever he said, I mean, you know, there's obviously some stuff that that's going to get you flagged. But, yeah,
2: I'm right there with you on that, too. It's – anyway. I cut you off. What were you saying? No, I, I think it's good the direction things are going. And and so maybe I'm trying to think in my head of how it would be structured to make it fair and make it something everybody was in favor of because obviously you don't want to have like a freebie extra player. I mean, in some leagues, you can designate a, like a tiebreaker player. And I think that designated a, designating an injury fill-in player would be something that potentially – would be interesting but that requires management you 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 don't like the idea of having
1: say you have whatever eight ten starting lineup spots eight ten bench spots but then there are two of your bench spots that you designate every week as backups or whatever you don't love that idea that that are automatically best ball basically
2: who do they go in for just your two lowest scores who
1: I think that you still have to fill a starting lineup. So the way that I've said in the past is like, you could put a backup quarterback, you could put a backup flex, you could kind of dictate. I don't think you can have a backup for every single position because then it just turns into basketball. So it's kind of like, you'd still have to be thin at some spots. You know, you might have to only play one QB and one tight end and play two extra flex guys or whatever. There'd still be some strategy involved with it as well. Right? Like, do you want to put a second quarterback in there and get a little bit of a best ball element with your quarterback position? Do you wanna I mean, is your roster strong enough that and your quarterback strong enough that you wanna do it with your running backs and receivers a little bit? It, it it does become a little bit of a best ball thing because if the players just perform poorly, they also would get dumped. But I don't think there's any other way to
2: make it hands off than to have. But it so, so it could work, it could work for non entry. Basically, it can work for non-injury as well. It's so like in our league where we play Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell, which I don't... we had to do, but we could have designated Samaj P. Ryan in the very off chance that Mixon goes out. And then we get then you look at that one, and you're like, well, he easily outscored McCaffrey and Mitchell together. That's the league we are fired up about. We do have some things we are excited about for Thanksgiving week and for week 12, the final week of the FFPC. Obviously, three big weeks left in general in fantasy football. But even with these injuries, the NFL is going on and there are lots of players putting up some big games. Yeah. (laughs) They exist.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
3: No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
1: You mentioned the Bengals, you mentioned the Bengals-Steelers game and I pulled the box score. George Pickens could have had a monster
2: game. Yeah, can't drop that pass at the end. That takes huge points off his right. score and Pickett's. So there was
1: there was two. Kenny Pickett misses him earlier in the game when he gets behind the defense. He's kind of moving in the pocket a little bit and sails it. I put that
2: one on Pickens as well in my article. It doesn't actually matter that much because he does score a touchdown on that drive.
1: Yeah, he but... ends up scoring a couple of plays later. He was moving awkwardly and, and spun his head around. <laughs> I, I hear your point. I just thought it was optimistically thrown when he had space later. They got a lot
2: of broken coverage too, which yeah. is a little bit less them, but the play late, both the route and the throw incredible. And you talk about how do you beat these defenses with the safety back? Well, we talked about last week that if Aaron Rodgers had just aired it out at the end of their game, that Christian Watson had beaten the corner and eaten up the safety so fast that he was over the top of both of those guys. That's what we saw at the end of the game from George Pickens. And I mean, Pickett has been criticized justifiably for some of his deep passing, but he threw probably the best pass of his young NFL career, and it was just just flagrantly dropped. Flat
1: drop. Two minutes left. Still a little bit of time for them to potentially compete if they score on that play. And yeah, that was a bummer. But seeing Pickens open over the top of the defense multiple times. Yeah, I, I had it as one on Pickett, one on Pickens. They both had, you know, one word to blame, but either way, two missed opportunities, could have had a much bigger game. T Higgins has the huge game. Uh that was a fun game for sure. Najee Harris has the game that Najee Harris drafters were hoping for. Two touchdowns, four catches, you know, that large workload, getting the goal line work, getting some pass game work. Obviously Jalen Warren had to get a little bit banged up for this to happen, but he's he plays ninety two percent of the snaps. That was sort of the hope with Najee Harris and uh Probably too a little, too late for those who drafted him. But
2: probably, and it could have been a, a different game here. He would have lost that second touchdown if Pickens doesn't drop the ball. Right. Also, Gunner tackled at the one foot line at the end. So if you again are rooting for that picket touchdown, he had a shot to get his guy there. And because he's actually a did a you call him scrambling? What's that? Did you call him Gunner because you didn't want to try to say Olzowski? Well, I think it's Olsheski, but I I just <laughs> I've heard it both ways. <laughs> yeah.
1: I didn't know how to say it
2: either. I thought Pickett was just going to reach the ball over the over the goal line and get the full six points. So that was how I was watching that one. Obviously, we're <laughs> discussing that because we did have Pickett in, in a few situations. The Steelers have had a brutal schedule to this point. Mitchell Trubisky's schedule even worse than Pickett's has been, but it does finally open up. And I think it, also if you're a Deontay Johnson fan, number one, you've got to be very worried. But then number two – I just think this team in Pickett, even with the struggles, I mean, you contrast what he's doing to what we saw in the Patriots-Jets game, where the Jets now, I mean, Wilson has played so poorly that even though it's in their best interests to give him a little bit more of a chance, we you think about how poorly Trevor Lawrence played last year and how he's at least taken some mild step forward this season, and that Wilson's rookie year basically completely wiped out, but Ben, I mean, they had more punts than he had completions in this game. And he's got weapons as well. You just, you, you kind of just have to, to bench these guys. But Pickett with that trio of receivers. I mean, Pat Fryermuth continues to put just enough out there to where, I mean, it looks like he is going to be the long term like tight end, too. Do you think? I mean, you think about the wave that's ahead of him where these guys are older and injured a lot we have the big game from george kittle but it comes at the expense of you know christian mccaffrey being able to score hardly any points i mean you have brandon Ayuk scoring points but just because he catches the two touchdowns i mean the circumstances there
1: christian mccaffrey scored 17 points and you're saying it's not very many there are a lot of running backs that would die to score 17 ppr points
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he but didn't once even you're score scoring TD. 17 points, you're basically Josh Jacobs.
1: <laughs> okay, but uh, I I I went to town on the Christian McCaffrey is now in a committee thing this this week in Ceiling signals he because got, Elijah
2: Mitchell basically didn't even play.
1: He got right. He got ten of the eleven first half touches. Elijah Mitchell came in for a lot of the obvious running stuff in the second half. We talk all the time about how it's not a bad thing if you have a low value touchback that you're keep staying fresh by giving up those touches and you're only playing in the passing game. He ran routes on 90% of their dropbacks in this game. Christian McCaffrey. You do not see running backs do that. He's split out wide and running slant patterns. He catches seven passes. He's averaging 7.3 targets, 6.3 receptions since coming over or excuse me, since in his last three in, in since he played a full game in his second game with the Niners. Uh, the receiving role is legit. It's going to come down to touchdowns if he can actually hit real ceilings. Well, he only had to carry seven times in this game to get to 17 points. This is the Gershaw McCaffrey of 2019. You don't even need rushing stats.
2: Well, and this was the game, too, where last week I was like, (laughs) I don't understand how the 49ers can possibly do this when they have a Pro Bowl team. We saw that Pro Bowl team this week. I mean, Debo and Brandon Ayuk may be two of the 10 best wide receivers in the NFL. Obviously, George Kittle.
4: They're I mean, so with fun. what
2: Travis Kelsey's is doing, I mean, you obviously have to put him number one, but the, the full all around tight end responsibility, George Kittle may be the best tight end in the NFL. There's, But that with what you were talking fun. about with McCaffrey, despite all of that, you know, he goes out there and humiliates those guys in practice and route running.
1: Yeah. And that's <laughs> so. why, I mean, but I think they're still kind of figuring it out the way I was so encouraged by how they use him in this game. Frankly, they used him. On all of the first whatever 16, 18 running back snaps, Elijah Mitchell's first touch comes with like two minutes left, four minutes left in the first half. And it's his only touch of the whole first half. They're not gonna blow on every single team. They might, because they, they look that good. But when they're in close games, if they trail again at some point, which I assume they will, Christian McCaffrey's gonna be on the field, he's gonna be running a lot of routes, he's gonna be catching a lot of passes. I mean, they're all gonna need to get some passes, like you mentioned. I mean, this team. It's so complimentary. I love how this team's – because Elijah Mitchell is a good runner, too. You have McCaffrey as a runner. You have Elijah Mitchell as a good runner, change of pace, explosive outside zone guy. You have Debo Samuel, who can line up as a wide receiver in the backfield and run up the middle for you, can also hit on what he did a, an end around from out wide where they, you know, the, the replay was so great of that run play where they showed how all the blocking was flowing one way and they're selling the McCaffrey run to the right. And then they hit the the end around with one pulling. And, I mean, it's just blocked perfectly. And Debo goes for six. But you have essentially three different complementary weapons in the running game. And, like, that's the simplistic part of it. The passing game is even more complex. But you have Brandon Ayuk, who looks like a legitimate high-end downfield weapon this year. He's playing so well. You have Debo, who can do that. You have Kittle, who can get downfield, too. But, I mean, he's the perfect tight end. He can block, like you said. But he also provides yak ability. You have Christian McCaffrey, the best route running running back in the NFL, to help in the short area of the field. This team is a freaking juggernaut. So complimentary. Everyone can do different things. They can help in the run and the pass game. It's
2: incredible. It's a fun-ass team. They play all of the games in the rain, essentially in space. Hen will be willing to call up a game like this again. <laughs> you think it was just because they were playing at eight thousand feet elevation that they that they did this? I don't know, but I love the Estadio Azteca. So it was
1: it was a blast to watch that game. But you were talking about Frymuth. You're talking about the tight ends. Kittle's old. Kelsey's old. Waller's old. They're not going to stay healthy for long. I think you're right. Frymouth is going to be in that mix with Pitts or behind Pitts. The other guy is who might behind be Pitts?
2: I mean, who's, who's we were we were put, of put out of our misery on. <laughs> this week yeah <laughs> I don't know I'm I think you have to start considering Friar above him it's been a disaster in a lot of people we won't get into that part but the Steelers they could be a really fun team when you look forward 12 months at this time next year and especially when you contrast I mean this is too I think I, I have quite a bit on Mark Andrews so I'm not in any way saying that I was out on him or, or selling him but what we've seen from the Ravens over the last month is a part of, number one, it's actually what's happening right now. It's also something that was within their range of outcomes. And I mean, I think it made sense when you consider the risk there to lighten your portfolio in Dynasty, which I did a little bit, but then also to look at some of these other options at the turn. I mean, a month ago, we're looking at some picks like Devonte Adams and CeeDee Lamb and thinking, man, I just wish I had Andrews everywhere. Through those selections you know now now with what what those guys are doing i mean you'd be very much back on the receivers now there are injury elements that came into play there you know maybe if mark andrews stays completely healthy all of this doesn't transpire and maybe if rashad bateman stays healthy so that they have like a more legitimate passing offense that they're going to be more in that direction as they are are planning for the week yeah but
1: Arguably, that's a big part of what happened last year with them getting so pass heavy was the exact thing happening to their running back room, right? Like all of their running back talent getting injured. Well, and they still having,
2: have
1: no, no running back yeah, talent. They still have no so running back. We're
2: still in yeah. that, that But theme. they're at the
1: point now where all their running backs and receivers are hurt and they're going, well, at least we can let Lamar Jackson run and, and that'll be effective. And that brings us to our win bet segment of the day. Sign up today. Receive a special sports offer, bet $100, win $100, download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning.
2: I have just kind of an odd question for you. I know that we get these kinds of questions all the time. and One of the things I've been looking at a little bit this week is a dynasty league where it might make sense to take on some immediate production where are you in jk dobbins versus Najee harris with dobbins not being able to stay healthy the weirdness with the ravens offense i mean i still think the dobbins is a huge talent and the harris isn't talented at all and yet the context creates an environment here where once harris has a couple of decent games which he's had i mean he's a first-round pick so you're gonna have to massively play your way out of being involved with the team it just takes a little bit of a flip there for their offense to be pedestrian or good again, as opposed to a train wreck. And suddenly you have Najee Harris with the pass-catching ability, not the pass-catching electricity or the ability to make something out of it. But you're, if you're saying I mean Najee Harris could be Joe Mixon for the next five years, then I mean now might still be a decent time to buy because we've gotten some positives again, but not so positive that his market has recovered. I think that we have to go back to a couple of the guys who their teams just finally got fed up this week, apparently. And you also have Clyde Edwards Alaire going down, and it finally looks like a free rojo season. But Melvin Gordon, Daryl Henderson, I mean, are these guys going to end up in Kansas City? We talked about the fact that Eno Benjamin, somebody who doesn't have nearly the track record of those two, maybe not nearly the track record in a good way because he hasn't like so flagrantly worked his way out of the job do you think there's going to be interest it doesn't have to be the kansas city chiefs obviously there are other teams headed for the playoffs that maybe want some running back depth and melvin gordon actually looked pretty good in this game other than the fumble which you can kind of sell some of these fumbles as being random although he's doing it constantly right now henderson somebody who i would have thought before this most recent stretch of potentially injured play was going to generate some interest as a free agent this offseason, simply because there aren't that many backs who are explosive before contact. Now, after what Tony Pollard has done the last two, three, you know, month, what have you, you can't put those guys in the same category, but they came into the season with a lot of similarities in terms of complementary players who had this ability to hit the hole and make a huge play, even though they're probably not going to do some other things. Now, Pollard is actually (laughs) demonstrating that he can do everything and maybe one of the three or four best running backs in the entire NFL. Do you think these guys are going to be added, or are they, are they actually more relevant and more interesting now, even not knowing the spot, than they were a week ago? I think Henderson could be.
1: And I think it's really funny that with the Cam Akers stuff, and there's obviously stuff inside the building, and Sean McVay saying, basically in no uncertain terms, that he wasn't going to be a part of the team anymore at one point. Uh, in an interview, getting asked, like, you know, something along the never say never line or something, but basically like, yeah, he's gone. And then they've welcomed acres back, but they cut Henderson who, I mean, they use similar draft capital on both guys and Henderson maybe hasn't been quite as good as acres was in his peak, but acres coming off an injury. Like I I think you could have justified just cutting acres, frankly, but acres had a decent game this week. Probably has more long-term upside. I think Henderson still has the, Possibility. I mean, I, I don't know what it is, what the Rams, but they have not wanted to trust him. They've thought it was uh, injury related, or at least that's been the line that has been floated. But that like he can't hold up to it. He's going to get banged up. Whatever. I think he's young enough still that like some team could give him a chance. It could be interesting. Melvin Gordon. I mean, my only take on Melvin Gordon is everything that I said about Javante Williams this off season was was accurate and. I'm chalking that up as a win. Javante Williams was a smash this year in an alternate universe. Because Melvin Gordon's dust. Like he's just not, he's not it anymore. You were talking about the tight ends. I want to get back to that. You said Pat Fryermuth, one of the top dynasty tight ends. I want to talk about TJ Hawkinson, who you love. And I thought of him because we were talking about George Pickens a few minutes ago. TJ Hawkinson had a very tough drop. And perfectly throw a ball in the end zone as well this week. But nine more targets seems to have found his home in Minnesota, getting a ton of volume. How are you feeling about him right now?
2: Hawkinson is one of those guys that I think should be a foundation piece for an offense. That was one of the reasons why, even though I like this idea of moving guys ahead of the second contract, if you think you're not going to be able to afford it, or you could just take that money and use it on a different player, And get the draft value back as well, but I don't think they should have done that with Hawkinson. It's especially too bad now that the Lions are showing some feistiness again. That's a team that's really turned themselves around in the last couple of weeks humiliate the New York Giants and basically the entire NFC East is going to be exposed before the season is over. I say that the the Eagles and the Cowboys definitely have some things going for them. But you you look at this game, and even with some of the drops, I think that the interesting thing too would be to kind of be inside Vikings' meetings as they prepare for Week Twelve, and, and kind of find out like whose whose fault was it on the subsequent play? Because after the drop that you know really kind of turned the game in some ways for them, you get one of those quintessential Kirk Cousins passes that is Carson Wentz, Jared Goffish, where Hawkinson is open for a touchdown and you get this bullet roach shot sort of over his head. But an elite player maybe makes that play as well and or is in a barely better spot in terms of where Cousins expects him to be. We don't know, but I mean, you could make the case that he blew a couple of plays consecutively that would have really helped the team but there just aren't a lot of tight ends that bring his size, his athleticism, that ability to go down the middle. The Vikings traded for him and immediately have incorporated that, him in. You don't always see that, even though it would seem like if you're going to go out and pay for someone, I mean, they would probably argue that the what they gave up in draft capital is minimal enough that it was just worth taking a shot to see. But the difference in the way that they've used him versus Irv er Smith, a young guy who has always kind of seemed on the verge of breaking out. And it's one of those players who is sort of a contingency-based play for a lot of fantasy managers every year. He's not been somebody that we've necessarily gone after heavily, although when he falls multiple rounds in drafts that we've been in, you know, we're willing to take him. That contrast, for me, says a lot, too. I mean, I think that this team is going to be Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson for the long term, and that has to be very positive, even if Kirk Cousins is throwing you passes. Yeah, it's been
1: exciting. Chase Claypool, second-round pick, have not incorporated him like this at all in in Chicago. Naheem Hines, not much draft capital to acquire him. Buffalo has not incorporated him at all. They seem to have just wanted him to be their punt returner. It's not common to see this and and this quickly. Uh, I think it's really exciting. For Hawkinson, you mentioned Pollard. I was really encouraged by him getting 56% of the routes. They had backups come in. And so you had some of the – I mean, there was a few blowouts this week. We were joking before the show. There was games – I tweeted this out this week. Three of the five lowest total yardage games for an offense this season. And we're in week 11, so we've had ten other weeks. But three of the five lowest – And this has
2: been a season where mostly, though, teams have gained a lot of yards and everything. And created an environment where it'd be – Really easy to get under the previous totals, right? Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Uh, three of them came in week 11. That was the Vikings. They were fifth lowest. The Jets, who had the lowest of the season, their 103 yards. Uh, I believe the Texans were the other team in, with the third lowest uh, for the season with their output in week 11. And then the Panthers were also, also 12th lowest. So you had four of the 12 lowest all in week 11. On top of that, from Week 11, we also had a a few blowouts. We had this game. We had the San Francisco-Arizona game. We had – do we have one more where we got backups? I thought we had one more, but I'm not seeing one when I look at the the leaderboard. Anyway, where we got backups coming in from both teams reasonably early. The Vikings actually wind up with 183 yards in part because, you know, their Nick Mullins-led offense gets like 50 yards in a couple of drives. Uh their their starters actually only had like 130 yards. On those offenses, obviously the starters come out, they don't play the full game, their their route shares, their snap shares, all those things are not going to be normal. Pollard still had a pretty strong numbers in that regard. The 56% routes was really notable because Elliott only ran routes on 16% of dropbacks. Obviously, probably not fully healthy, but he was back and he did get 15 carries in this game. Like he he played. Earlier in the season, weeks one through six, Elliott ran more routes than Pollard in every single game. He had at least twice as many routes in two of those six games. We have not seen them on the field together, and Tony Pollard get a 56% route share and Elliott get a 16%. And even though Elliott's not healthy, that gap is significant enough that I'm like, this split might be different now with Elliott back. They might actually – and then add in that Tony Pollard goes six – target six receptions 109 yards and two touchdowns in the passing game i think pollard's going to run more routes in him going forward even though it's going to be there he's going to take some of the short yards he's going to take some of the touchdowns really unfortunate for pollard owners to see him get stuffed two plays in a row in one sequence at the goal line elliot come in and punch it in on a perfectly blocked play where like and then the announcers are talking about ah oh, sometimes you just need it was romo you, you need elliot's size in there And I was sitting there going, I mean, Pollard would have scored on that run, too. Well, you need to not
2: be contacted until you're five
1: yards in the end zone. That's right. That's helpful. That's helpful. But the next time down there, they gave Elliott the short yardage touchdown. And sometimes that's all that matters is the result on these, you know, small sample situations, goal line. Okay, Elliott scored on both of his attempts. Pollard did not score on his two. Elliott's going to get the next goal line work. You can almost tell. But Pollard, I think, is going to be locked into more work now going forward than the split from Weeks 1
2: to 6, which is exciting. Is it just the optimist in me, or was this not inevitable? I mean, there was no way they could have gone back, right? Because Tony Pollard is there with – I mean, name a running back who is clearly better than Tony Pollard right now. I mean, Brees Hall was lost for the season. Jonathan Taylor is a little bit nicked up. Christian McCaffrey is better. Is there another back besides Christian McCaffrey who is better than Tony Pollard right now? Nick Chubb,
1: I think, probably Derrick Henry. But those are guys are, like, limited. They're probably not as dynamic as him as a pass catcher, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean. As amazing people, as he is. People would say Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook. But, yeah,
2: I mean, there's, like, you're talking. Well, I don't think those to... guys are even close. I was going to say Austin Eckler. I would take Tony Pollard okay, over Echler. Austin Eckler right now. Wow. Okay. I mean, been last season, coming into this year, So I was checking this because, Darrell Henderson, we've talked about previously, 2.7 yards before contact last year, right? A guy who is shot out of a cannon and will be perfect for these offenses that face super light boxes like the Kansas City Chiefs because of how, number one, teams play defenses in general, but number two, you're facing Patrick Mahomes, 2.7 yards before contact on, a, on more or less a full workload when you play the season he did is a huge number. Switching to to Pollard, we're not talking about what he's done in this most recent amazing stretch. We're talking about him last season when the Cowboys still couldn't bring themselves to commit. There were three players in football last year who averaged 2.5 yards before contact and 3.5. Oh, or more yards after. And the reason it, I mean, obviously guys who have huge numbers and just yards per carry are doing some of these things. But one of the reasons why I do always like to break it up is because demonstrating that you can do both is very helpful for becoming that superstar and having the Jamal Charles type effect. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised to find out that those three guys were Rashad Penny, who was just basically lit on fire in the final month of the season and won all of those fantasy leagues. And then the other guy not even a running back and shouldn't i mean, i shouldn't have put him in because it's not fair but debo samuel right and then tony pollard that's how good he was i mean it's it's not something that has just happened in the last month and this is the reason too why he was drafted just extraordinarily early this year when you look at the, yeah, things like projections and and people are adjusting how they make some of these moves they are doing what we recommend to make some contingency based plays and to go after talent. And if you took that risk this off then man, you are just ecstatic right now. And you should be because you took a player well above where the projections would have realistically had him. And I mean, now he looks like one of the best players in all of football. I, obviously just like the, in the case with Debo Samuel, you're not going to get these long runs every week. Although we did get one from Debo again last week, but these things are not fluky from the perspective of they don't just happen. The players who break these kinds of players are players like Chris Johnson and Jonathan Taylor and Jamal Charles and someone like Tony Pollard. I mean, this is just so cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel good. I wrote in Steven when he had like a six yard rushing game that he was one of the clearest buys in all fantasy football because everyone was really confident about Zeke. I remember tweeting about Zeke during the Philly game when Zeke actually looked good and making a joke that every one of his runs looks like he's falling down. And whether it's a three-yard run or a six-yard run is just how long it takes him to fall down, which is exactly how every Zeke, runs, Zeke run looks. That's the best tweet I've ever had. I'm just going to toot my own horn about it. But I got a lot of flack from Zeke fans on Twitter, which this last week I, I, I made a, a comment about Zeke fans and I had people going, are there even Zeke fans left? And I'm like, well, there were a month ago when I tweeted about him. And was being rude, and uh, I had one guy tweet at me eight different times, and I mean, just was not happy.
2: That shows good engagement. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know about Twitter, but it seems like that's what you're looking for.
1: He said he was unsubscribing to stealing signals and all this stuff because I I made a comment about Ezekiel Elliott, and I obviously was just not watching the games and all these things, and I, and I, I must like Tony Pollard too much, and I mean that guy has to feel stupid because every game since then Tony Pollard had at least. Uh, at least 100 total yards, <laughs> and he's been doing pretty well. But anyway, enough uh, of me tuning my own horn. That was one for multiple weeks that I said you, you wanted to go out and get Tony Pollard when it was looking at like a low point for him.
2: But you're not willing to to make the same comments about Daryl Henderson.
1: No, I just said I think Daryl Henderson, at least more than Melvin Gordon, is a guy that could land somewhere else and do all right. But no, I mean, I'm not, actually. <laughs> I'm not. You know?
2: No, they are, they are different players, very yeah. obviously.
1: But anyway, Pollard,, um, it's been exciting for anyone who who likes Pollard or has been in on Pollard at any point to watch him do this. But I love the way you said it that it isn't just a short, you know, a small sample thing or a short stretch of this. He just keeps adding to dynamism. <clears throat> I know earlier in the year we were talking about how even going back last year he had the kick return on Thanksgiving for a TD. I mean, he's it created explosive plays in so many different ways. He's almost like Debo Samuel in that regard, like when this guy has the ball on his hands, he might score on that play, basically wherever he is on the field and however he got the ball into his hands, which is a good trait. There's not a lot. I mean, when you start talking about Jamal Charles and those guys, that's, that's what we're talking about with Tony Pollard. Like, he's that dynamic. Anything else fun this week? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> These <laughs> games sucked this week. Chiefs and Chargers. We got uh, Tony got hurt. Bummer. Justin Watson played a bunch. Sky Moore ran his most routes. Highest route percentage, at least, of the year. 16 routes, and he drew six targets on those. A Massive 37% uh, target per route run. He catches five of them. He looks smooth. He looks good. I was encouraged. Do you think that role can grow?
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, we get so used to seeing... Someone who's going to be a star like a George Pickens dominate from you know more or less the beginning of training camp. Having someone like Garrett Wilson, who even though he's being completely squashed by quarterback play right now, come out and look so good in those first couple of games with Joe Flacco, no less, that anything other than stardom would be a shock for him. One of the things that Colm mentioned on overtime today, because we were doing this segment about the first round wide receivers. And I just, I mean, this is very obvious, but I was blown away again at how well they're performing this year, but then also how well they performed over the last three years. These five guys who are legit first round wide receivers in fantasy are just so far head and shoulders above everybody else that it, it truly boggles the mind. But the person that we kind of started out talking about was Devonte Adams, because he has this game where, the Raiders have nothing else, and yet seemingly the Broncos kept forgetting that he was out there. When you look up and Derek Carr has lofted a ball because there's no one within 20 yards of Devontae Adams, which happened like three different times. Those are defensive breakdowns you probably can't have. But some of the reason that it happens is because of the route running and the incredible breaks that Adams has to where the defensive back is just look I mean a couple of times in this game, and this is partly how you get so wide open, it was almost like he disappeared because he cut and the corner looked the other way, <laughs> like didn't pick him up again until he was 15 yards clear of everybody.
1: Yeah, there's no one better at selling he's going one way and then going the other. And the corner will go like three steps the other way. And it looks like a defensive breakdown, but his route is just that good sometimes. He's just sending the guy off. It's an and one mixtape of, of route running. It's incredible. Yeah.
2: And... You watch that, and then you think, I mean, Devontae Adams was a bust. Not for, like, 10 yeah. games like Sky Moore. For two years. For two seasons. And I'm, Sky Moore is not going to be Devontae Adams, obviously. But you think about the situation and the reason that people... see oh, <laughs> That was actually the hook, right? That was the yeah. intro. Is yeah. Who is going to be the next Devontae Adams? I think I heard you say that in the intro. Yeah. The... Situation there with Patrick Mahomes again. The reminder in this game, you have another situation where the Chiefs basically have nobody, and yet the Los Angeles Chargers three different times went ahead and let Travis Kelsey score more or less uncontested touchdowns. The game would have gone the other direction if you don't do that. But the Chiefs still searching for answers here. You have Marquez Valdez Scantling again in this game can't do anything, just absolute disappearance. Kadarius Tony, so exciting, but. I mean, the New York Giants were watching those first couple of games and just laughing at everybody, including, I mean, and I put myself in that category. I was very excited about how he looked last week. And you're talking about, oh, Andy Reid, you know, can make these guys, like, feel comfortable and, and be their true selves. And and hopefully all that will still happen. But you know the Giants were laughing. We're like, I mean, he <laughs> is one play away from taking off six months of practice. Obviously, you have the unfortunate situation with Juju where concussions are a problem for him And he's not a star player. There is still an opportunity for Sky Moore to be the long-term wide receiver one with the greatest quarterback in NFL history. And if you have him on a roster, you just still have to be very excited about that. What we saw today was the reason the Chiefs drafted him, or we saw on Sunday night. The reason the Chiefs drafted him and the reason he did actually put some decent plays up during the preseason This ability to make these nice cuts, to look smooth out of the break, to separate out of the break. And the other thing there, when you've played as poorly as he's played, when you've muffed all of these punts, when they're high leverage plays that you're targeted on and Patrick Mahomes hits you perfectly in stride, maybe it's just speaking from you know, my own perspective, having done different types of sports, but you just kind of feel like he would be nervous there yeah. and you didn't see any he of that. Did look I mean, like he grabs that. those, like it's nothing, takes them for the first down I and mean, he looked good. On, on some of the, the, the like
1: intermediate stop patterns the 15 yard stops, he's doing a really good job of coming back to the ball. I mean, just like one of those little things that you like to see from receivers and a lot of young receivers don't They just kind of stand there and they let the defender make a break on it. He's coming back and making the play keeping that separation that he's already kind of won on the route and making the catch easier by, you know, continuing to work back towards the ball. Um, he looked, yeah, calm and confident. And, and when we talked about it, he came from a non-power five school early in the year. It looked like the game was maybe just a little too fast for him. And that's understandable, right? Like I, I, I this is one of the things that I want to consider more going forward as college football gets more, extreme in, in where the talent is and, and it's, you know, driven towards the, you know, the, it's going to be a power two conferences pretty quick, just as you see in big 10 as it, as, as these disparities in talent get bigger and bigger. I don't think that means we just completely ignore the small school guys. Obviously talented players can get overlooked and go to small schools and still be very good. But in terms of that, that step to the NFL and that whole conversation of, you know, it's a, it's a bigger step for some of these guys than, the ones that are playing in the SEC every week or in, in the Big Ten every week and facing future NFL cornerbacks, maybe not every week, but somewhat frequently, I don't know. I, probably there would be some evidence on that. You're, you're kind of smiling here because I, you probably know more about this than I do. But it's not as surprising to me that it might have taken a guy from Western Michigan a little bit more time, I guess, to, to get to a point where he looked comfortable in the field like he did in this game. So that's exciting. Isaiah Pacheco, Sean. Ran for 107 yards. Looked comfortable as well. The first 100-yard game
2: for the Chiefs since Jamal Charles retired. Was that right?
1: <laughs> I think it was since so like week four of last year. I think Claudio Zolaire has had one of those in his career. Or probably more than one, but we get. But Isaiah Pacheco, my take on him was there are these running backs that we describe as not having wasted movement. And that's not how I would describe Isaiah Pacheco.
2: <laughs> he seems to use
1: a lot of energy to run like through big holes. And he's just like taking these big choppy steps and then making cuts where like just go. And he gets like a nine-yard gain and pops up and is all stoked. And it's like, you should have had 15. What why were you running side to side? I want to know what you saw with him because you you do a great job, I think, of analyzing running backs, on you know, on film, basically. Did you think what I thought that this was the Chargers defense that asks every team to run on them, but especially the Chiefs, that's where this whole defense sort of started with them. They're, they're going to not commit to stopping Isaiah Pacheco. He's going to get running lanes. He's going to run well in this spot. Was it a situation of everything was sort of laid out there for him, he still looked really bursty. He's still super athletic. I could see him being a guy that I'm wrong on, basically, because he is so athletic and Patrick Mahomes is so good. But, I mean, I was like, that's like the least impressive 15 carry, 100-yard, 5-plus-yard-per-carry game that I think I've ever seen, 6-plus-yard-per-carry, whatever it was. He had a really strong rushing line. but I just
2: like wasn't
1: impressed by him. We're just talking about Tony Pollard. I didn't see Tony Pollard.
2: What are your thoughts? I mean, he's not going to be that guy. I think that the exciting part here is that he actually still was good. And you have to give him some credit for that. And it is valuable that he's athletic. And I think that's going to translate into some decent plays. The main thing I was feeling as I was watching this game, the Chiefs and Chargers combined for 57 rushing attempts. And just as a fan of football, not even caring about the fantasy part, I mean, your head is just about to explode as you're watching this game. You're screaming at the TV for them to throw the ball both teams but yeah I mean Pacheco he's an interesting dude and he appears to make like three jukes for every step and yet they're not actually jukes he's just shaking his shoulders as you mentioned it reminds me a lot of Najee Harris in college where he's actually making a lot of jukes and not running down the field and then he'll hurdle someone and be excited and then we'll have to go back to the sideline and Nick Saban will be like this is why we play Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs ahead of you, even though that you were the number one recruit in all of football. See, like run forward. Pacheco, at least going forward in this game, and I think that you have to like that part. Is he going to play to his athleticism? I don't think so. Does he have the full mix to make him a star and to unlock the Chiefs' offense as opposed to being something where the Chargers are just very happy to let him do that? I mean, this line here where he goes for over 100 yards would mean more if the Chargers weren't basically asking everybody to run, and you know that they're asking the Chiefs to run him. Mean, they don't want Patrick Mahomes to be... You know picking them apart as he does everyone, even though he doesn't have the receivers in this game. So it's you know what you might call defensive indifference, but you still want to create the plays. We've watched Clyde Edwards Alaire, a first round pick who does have some athleticism. I mean, we talk about how you can't pick a guy who is like five seven and runs like a four six forty. <laughs> you have jonathan taylor on the board but there were other things that he brings athletically he actually has athletic comps to someone like aaron jones who we know is one of the most electric backs in the nfl that's who the chiefs thought they were going to get instead they get someone who if he had gotten those touches that pacheco got in this game he would have run into the back of the offensive line he would have run into the first defender and the chiefs would probably have lost this game because it was that close right i mean at one point they flashed up a 24 percent win probability for them I was selling that as being their actual win probability. <laughs> Maybe that is the Chiefs. Fan, but you have Patrick Mahomes with the ball at the end, obviously they're going to go win. But, I mean, it's big that he's able to do what he did because the Chiefs do need at least that. They're not going to run the ball zero times in these games. I-, I thought it was encouraging. He's had this decent stretch now. You can see what the Chiefs were seeing in practice. He's starting to do it in actual games. He's worked his way to the top of the depth chart. And there's less risk now for him in the short term of having a couple plays where he runs into the back of the offensive line, which he's done on occasion this year because McKinnon not looking very good, probably a little bit injured. And now it looks like Clyde Edwards may have to miss some time. So you basically saw what I saw, <laughs> which is that
1: he can be fine. He can be fine, but he's not special. I just want to make sure I wasn't missing something because yeah, he to me, just doesn't, I mean, I, he did he did look athletic, and he did get the arts, like you said. and and he can be fun. There's still re- definitely reason for optimism, and there should be, and I think there will be. <clears throat> but um, yeah, the running and the juking nobody stuff is 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 pretty funny.
2: and Ben that's the perfect place to leave it tonight. I've had a lot of fun with the show, as I knew that I was going to hopefully listeners enjoyed it. And if you weren't interested in different fantasy formats, you just fast forward through the first 15 minutes, but we will be back with another episode for you. Talk a little bit about the Thanksgiving day games. Those should be a lot of fun. We have a big week 12 as playoffs in a lot of leagues will be determined. Then it usually only takes me 48 hours after these key injuries to be hundred percent back and fired up for the next week. And we have some teams that'll be there. I know each of us have some separate teams. I can't wait. The NFL, even with some of the 2022 foibles, is a product we absolutely love. This is been Stealing Bananas. I am Sean Siegel. With me is the incomparable Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals at bengretsch.substack.com. Sign up for Stealing Lines. Join us over at rotoviz the coupon code there if you somehow don't know i'm sure you do is rv radio 2022 at checkout 10 percent off a one-year subscription we do have some cool stuff down the stretch Ben, that help people win their fantasy playoffs and then you don't have to worry about that disruption in your service when we get into the cool off-season fantasy playoff contests and prospect info with the big dynasty emphasis join us over there Subscribe to the feed. You'll get these shows as soon as they come out. Leave us a rating review. It's huge to us for the algorithm. We so appreciate it. Even just going in and changing (laughs) some punctuation and refreshing your review is helpful there. Leave us a comment. If you have an idea for how to fix the injury problem in fantasy football, and Colin happens to post this on YouTube, put it in there. Start the conversation. Get that format out. Maybe you can be the next person to run like the ffpc and i don't know exactly how that portion of it works but i think those guys are having themselves a good time we love their product that is for sure can't wait to talk to you guys again we'll see you